Hi again, everyone. Um, we're going to be reading from Acts chapter 13, um, starting at verse 13, going to verse 52. So it's a bit of a longer passage today. Um, I'm going to be narrating, and Paul is going to read for Paul. Hi, Very I'm convenient. Paul, and that makes sense, doesn't it? <laughs> Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Phrygia in Pamphylia, but John left them and went back to Jerusalem. They continued their journey from Persia and reached Pisidian Antioch. On the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading of the law and the prophets, the leaders of the synagogue sent word to them, saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, you can speak. Paul stood up and motioned with his hand and said, Fellow Israelites and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our ancestors made the people prosper during their stay in the land of Egypt and led them out of it with a mighty arm. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. This all took about 450 years. After this, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king and God gave them Saul the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. After removing him, he raised up David as their king and testified about him, I have found David, the son of Jesse, to be a man after my own heart who will carry out all my will. From this man's descendants, as he promised, God brought to Israel the saviour Jesus. Before his coming to public attention, John had previously proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. Now, as John was completing his mission, he said... Who do you think I am? I am not the one, but one is coming after me and I am not worthy to untie the sandals on his feet. Brothers and sisters, children of Abraham's race and those among you who fear God, it is to us that the word of this salvation has been sent. Since the residents of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize him or the sayings of the prophets that are read every Sabbath, they have fulfilled their words by condemning him. Though they found no grounds for the death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him killed. And when they had carried out all that had been written about him, they took him down from the tree and put him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and he appeared for many days to those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we ourselves proclaim to you the good news of the promise that was made to our ancestors, God has fulfilled this for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. As it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have become your father. As to his raising him from the dead, never to return to decay, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure promises of David. And therefore he also says in another passage, you will not let your holy one see decay. For David, after serving God's purpose in his own generation, fell asleep and was buried with his fathers and decayed. But the one God raised up did not decay. Therefore, let it be known to you, brothers and sisters, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is being proclaimed to you. Everyone who believes is justified through him from everything that you could not be justified from through the law of Moses. So beware that what is said in the prophets does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, marvel and vanish away, because I am doing a work in your days, 
a work that you will never believe, even if someone were to proclaim it to you. As they were leaving, the people urged them to speak about these matters following the following Sabbath. After the synagogue had been dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who were speaking with them and urging them to continue in the grace of God. The following Sabbath, almost the whole town assembly, town assembled to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what Paul was saying, insulting him. Paul and Barnabas boldly replied, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first, since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. We are turning to the Gentiles, for this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they rejoiced and honoured the word of the Lord, and all who had been appointed to eternal life believed. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region, but the Jews incited the prominent God-fearing women and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their district. But Paul and Barnabas shook the dust off their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Well, good morning again. Um, Thank you, Paul. It's your first time up the front here, I think. Um, Paul's attending our newcomers lunch next week as a newcomer and is already involved. It's fantastic. Thank you, brother, and thank you, Kate. It's a great reading, a long reading, but thank you for getting us so into it. Uh, What is a message that you want people around you to know about? Uh, When I bought a Kia Carnival, oh my goodness, it's such a lame example. Um, (laughs) I had clearly overcome my soccer suburban dad fears and I was all in. I thought it was the best car I had ever owned. Uh, Yes, it looks like a wombat. Uh, Yes, I got it bogged because it can't pull itself out of trouble for nothing. Uh, But, you know, it's cleverly designed. The seats fold down and opens up all kinds of opportunities. Bunnings trips. There's been many Bunnings trips. I've filled it with kids and people and party tunes. Uh, It's a great car. Uh, And so I told, especially when I bought it, and I still do it now, I suppose, and even now, uh, I told everyone, it's a great thing. You should get on it. Uh, Maybe there's a TV show you're watching at the moment that you just can't help but blabber about. But these are all such, such small examples of things we latch onto. <laughs> What's worthy of a global message? World peace? Yeah. Uh, if you look at kind of the, the global messages going around, climate change, uh, all, all, kinds of, all kinds of messages are, are kind of are, are seeking a global audience, and so many of them are, are for good things. And yet, there is not power in the message. What we have here in the gospel, in the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, is a message from the ages for all nations, and there is power in this message. And what we are going to see in our new series, Acts, is the way the power of the good news of Jesus goes out so that thousands upon thousands would come to believe, and now billions across the ages, across nations. Welcome to this new series on the gospel to all nations. 
Now, last week we finished our series on making sense of God and making sense of life, and we looked at John 13, where Jesus spoke about a new commandment, I give you to love one another. We looked at Peter, uh, one of the kind of the great enthusiasts of the New Testament, uh, perhaps over-enthusiastic as we noted. Uh, he said to Jesus, I will die for you, uh, a kind of a profound expression of love. But Jesus replied with what? No, you won't. <laughs> Uh, you'll deny me three times. And since Jesus told him that, Jesus did die. He was arrested. He died. Peter really did deny Jesus three times. He wept like a baby. Fair enough. Pretty messy. Uh, Jesus was, after he was crucified, the disciples were lost, disoriented, but Jesus rose again from the dead and he appeared to hundreds of witnesses. And then after being resurrected, after appearing to many, he rose into heaven and then a great, the great wind of the Holy Spirit swept across Jesus' followers and filled them with a new joy and a sense of God's presence and power. And at Pentecost, uh, the Jewish festival in Jerusalem, uh, Peter was so filled with the Spirit that he spoke the good news of Jesus to all who had gathered. And for Pentecost, people had gathered from all nations into Jerusalem. And people from all nations who, who spoke in different tongues all heard the message through the power of the Holy Spirit. And Peter was used mightily, for Jesus had said to Peter, the failed Peter, I will build my church on you, because that's how the God, God of grace works through His people. And thousands of people came to know of Jesus and believed in Him on that day at Pentecost. And this is how Acts starts, chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And the kingdom of God grew and it grew. But it was not without opposition, as we'll see even in this chapter. And yet God's people displayed a calm confidence in the power of the gospel. And that's what I want for you today, to be part of God's great mission and to have a calm confidence that God is at work in us and through us to see all nations come into the kingdom of God. Now, we're picking up the series at the beginning of Paul's missionary journeys in chapter 13. Why start 13? It's a very unlucky number to start with. Uh, well, we don't believe in that to start with. But secondly, uh, I think Tack preached on the first few chapters a number of years ago. Uh, and yes, we're missing a number of, you know, really good moments where, for example, uh, Stephen, uh, if those have been following in our social Bible reading plan, we read about from Acts 7, uh, Stephen, this is a few weeks ago, Stephen uh, a, a kind of gave a great speech defending his faith uh, and the great opposition that rose up to the gospel looked like him being stoned to death. And it's this kind of very cinematic moment as the camera zooms out from that, that kind of horrible moment. Uh, Stephen's face is shining with glory because of the calm confidence he has in the Lord Jesus. And as the camera keeps zooming out, there is the feet of this man, Saul, who sanctioned his death. For Saul was a great persecutor of the followers of the way, as it was called, um, pe people who followed Jesus. And that same Saul became Paul when on a road to Damascus, he encountered the risen Lord Jesus for himself. And he was so shocked and compelled in, in that encounter with Jesus as Jesus commissioned him to be a preacher and missionary to the Gentiles that Saul's life was radically changed. 
But he didn't become Paul in that moment. He becomes Paul in this chapter. I want you to come back to that. Uh, there's all kinds of great things that happen in uh, the first 12 chapters of Acts. Uh, the main character is not Saul, it's Peter. Uh, and, uh, you know, th- this is the fulfillment of what Jesus said to Peter, that I will build my church on you, and Jesus did just that in Jerusalem. And so the first 12 chapters are centered in Jerusalem with Peter leading the church. Uh, and in the previous chapter, Peter's been imprisoned uh, for the gospel, and yet the gospel is unchained. And angels come and miraculously deliver Peter, much to the delight and amazement of the followers of Jesus. Uh, King Herod, who was part of Jesus' execution, dies suddenly under the judgment of God, which is actually, uh, just a side point here, you can read about that same event in Josephus, the Antiquities of the Jews, an historical document that's separate to the Bible. And so I always look for these overlaps because this is a historical message. It's Jesus at work in history. And with all of that happened... We now clock over into Acts 13, and uh, this is where we now focus on Paul, the beginning of his missionary journeys. In fact, I think we've mapped out here the first of his three major journeys uh, on the screen, and this is the chapter where Saul becomes Paul, and he changed his name, and it's sort of like just a little side comment there that, you know, Saul in brackets, oh, sorry, Paul, and in brackets, kind of, uh, who was also called Saul, uh, He changed his name because Saul is a Hebrew name and he chose to go by his Roman name because he is now a preacher and a missionary to the Gentiles. Uh, And as we read in in other writings, like in Corinthians, uh, he became all people, all things to all people, a Jew to the Jews in order to win the Jews, uh, weak uh, to the weak in order to win the weak. And it's like he's becoming a Roman to win the Romans, even changing his name, all for the sake of the gospel. He is so sold out for the sake of the gospel. It's a great encouragement. And as someone filled with the Spirit, set apart for this mission, uh, he and Barnabas set out from Antioch, which is becoming another centre of Christianity, uh, but they are sent out way beyond uh, kind of the shores of Antioch, right into the heartlands of uh, the Roman capital of the province of Galatia, uh, that is Pisidian Antioch. Uh, And we pick up our passage that was read out to us uh, as Paul walks into the synagogue. That was his pattern. Even though he was a a missionary to the Gentiles, he always started uh, in the synagogues because he was a Jew, but also the good news was first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. As as we'll see, God's been working through the ages through His people and for His people, the Jews, and so He starts there to proclaim the good news of Jesus and then we'll see what happens. Um, And so I'm going to walk through three main sort of sequences of uh, Paul's speech. And I wanted to see firstly that God has been working through the ages for His people. Now, it's good to start your communication with people with what is common. In fact, that's what kind of communication means, to make common. And so, if you're going to share something new with someone, and teachers in the room help back me up here, if you're going to share some new information with people, you don't start with the new, because there's nothing to latch on to. You've got to start with just, with, which, you've got to start with which is common and kind of and shared information, and then you kind of branch out into the new. And that's exactly what Paul does in the synagogue. Uh, he starts with the story of his people, with the story of the Old Testament, the story of those gathered uh, at the synagogue around the Old Testament, and these are some of the things he talks about. He begins with God rescuing his people out of Egypt, that's the Exodus, uh, and you can read about that in Exodus. Um, 
Uh, and uh, the, it, we, it's the story where God rescued his people with a mighty arm. Uh, and then 40 years of wandering, uh, as, it writes, as Paul says, he put up with them. That is, God literally had to put up with this whinging, kind of uh, unfaithful people. And, you know, if you think you're gracious and kind of can last, you know, maybe four minutes with whinging children, uh, try lasting 40 years uh, of wandering. That's how gracious God is. Uh, followed by another 400 years to settle in the land that they inherited uh, and were promised. And yet, they were still unsettled, the people of God. Uh, and so, as they continued to disobey God, God sent them judges to call them back and restore them. And again and again, until they finally cried out for God to give them a king, even though God was their king, they wanted a king like all the other nations, God gave them a king. They chose Saul, uh, no relation to the Saul, Paul who's speaking, uh, it's just a Hebrew name, uh, but he was a pretty average king. Uh, and so, Paul notes that God removed him, skipping over the details, he was a bit of a nutter, drunk on his own power. And then Paul says, God raised up David, and quoting from the Old Testament, he described David as a man after God's own heart. He was, a, he was a person unlikely for the job, a little guy, <laughs> a shepherd boy, didn't look like one of power, and yet in all humility and faithfulness, he had the heart after God. Now, we know from reading about David, even that guy, even the one who had a heart after God, still failed miserably in all kinds of terrible ways, like Peter, actually, and yet God works through broken humanity when we are humble and faithful and repent. And in that short summary that Paul gives in this speech, uh, one thing is, is absolutely clear, that God is sovereign. That is, He is all-powerful. He is the King. This is His story. And when you actually, and do keep the Scriptures open, when you read through the way that Paul describes it, this is what you see. He chose our ancestors, that is God. He made them prosper. He led them out with a mighty arm. He put up with them. He gave them their land. He gave them judges. They asked for a king. God gave them their wishes. He removed him. He raised up David. This is clearly a story about God and His people and His rule. I got this picture from Rach uh, just the other day, uh, and for those that know about the felt that um, people have spent, I would say, hundreds of hours in preparation, in cutting up little bits of felt uh, before a, a team of, from TAC and local churches went to India uh, over this last week, uh, that they had, they had laboured over this felt so that they could give kits out to people in India, uh, local pastors, their families, and then be able to take them uh, to their local churches. Th this felt storyline tells the story that Paul is telling here. It's the story of the Old Testament leading towards Jesus. And yes, Paul skipped over, you know, he doesn't give all the details, he skipped over Adam and Eve, uh, he skipped over even Abraham, actually. Uh, you can see Abraham's got the beard, uh, that's the P for the promise, and the, the, the threefold promise then kind of expands out to uh, wandering in the desert, but then coming together in the chosen land uh, with a king installed by God. Uh, and yet, we see consistently those crosses are marking kind of our failure uh, to live up to God's blessings and promises. Uh, and then it all culminates in that little manger, Jesus, God's Son. And uh, as, uh, as uh, Rachel shared with me, that this, uh, this felt board uh, has been a tremendous blessing to, to locals as a way of recounting the story in the same way that Paul is doing 
to, to help people uh, understand the way that God has worked through the ages for His people. Now, Paul's picked up on certain details for his purposes here. And in fact, if we go back, not only do we see God's sovereignty as key, we also see that we are not the best of contributors to the story. The crosses in the felt board are matched with the fact that God had to put up with God's people. They needed judges. They asked for a king that wasn't God. What do we bring to the table of the Sovereign Lord? (laughs) Not a lot. While we bring our sin, we bring our failures, and yet God had so set His love upon His people that He remained faithful even when they were not. He remained faithful to His promises because God is powerful, He is sovereign, He is also gracious and abounding in love. And I want you to have confidence in being part of God's mission and purposes because He is sovereign and faithful and gracious. He has been working through the ages for His purposes. From eternity, God has been working towards you so that you might be part of His plans now and so that He might work in and through you. And friends, I don't know if you feel up to the task, but I guess that's not the question, actually. I want you to have a calm confidence, first and foremost, in this God who has been working from eternity to see you saved and to draw him in, you into His purposes. Now, it's at this point in Paul's speech that he shifts gear because he's recounted the story in communication, you've got to make common, you've got to start with what is shared, and then there's a shift into something new. And something new here is that God has begun a new age revealed in the Lord Jesus Christ and His resurrection. The shift happens here, verse 26, Paul readdresses the crowd, brothers and sisters, again drawing close to them, children of Abraham's race, see Abraham wasn't forgotten about, and those among you who fear God, a way of saying to the Jews, those born as Jews, and those who are God-fearers, those who have come into the the Jewish community, uh, it is to us that the word of salvation has been sent. And then the next verse, he says this, they did not recognize Him, they condemned Him. There's a subtle switch here, because he just said the word of salvation has been sent and they did not recognize Him and they condemned Him. He's not even said who He's talking about. (laughs) But we know, because at the beginning of John's Gospel, the Word, the Word of salvation, was God, was with God, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us, we have seen His glory. Paul is talking about the Lord Jesus and the fact that the Word of salvation, the Lord Jesus, had actually come to them but they fulfilled their words by missing Him entirely. That is, that they have been preaching and speaking and teaching on the the prophecies of the Old Testament, the Psalms of the Old Testament, the story of the Old Testament, all pointing towards the Word of salvation, Jesus coming, and they totally missed Him. Have you ever been near someone famous and not realized? Um, 
It's not quite the same, but I went to school with Ian Thorpe. Uh, he was just an ordinary school kid who just happened to massively blitz the swimming carnivals. Like, it was ridiculous. Uh, I did maths with him. I saw him in most classes, but I didn't know him that well. Uh, next thing, he's not at school much. He's willing, winning like a million Olympic gold medals, and he's driving an Audi TT convertible while I was driving my mum's Mazda. Sometimes you don't really appreciate kind of the magnitude of someone's grandeur until it's kind of all paraded across the world. Uh, but this, what's happening with the, the, the God's people is not like that because they were studying the Scriptures. The sayings of the prophets read every Sabbath, Paul says. This is quite a dig, actually. You've been soaked in this stuff. You are even looking forward to the Messiah, God's chosen one. You've been reading passages like Isaiah 53. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering and acquainted with disease. He was despised as one from whom men hid their face and we did not respect him. But they were looking for someone respectable. They would have read passages like Psalm 118. The stone which the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvellous in our eyes. They didn't have eyes of faith. They weren't looking to God's plans. They were looking to their own plans, their own power. It's kind of like obsessing over every Taylor Swift lyric, watching all her videos, reading through all her fan news, and then missing the fact that she's in Sydney. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> how did that happen? Well, probably because you didn't refresh your browser enough. No, no, no. Um, uh, I mean, how did God's people miss Jesus? Because they did not have eyes of faith. Because they fulfilled their own words about him being despised and rejected, and they fulfilled the words and prophecies even to his death. Verse 29, when they had carried out all that had been written about him, they took him down from the tree and put him in a tomb. Now, what I'm doing here at the bottom of the screen here is helping kind of pick out the eyes of the, the, the speech that Paul is giving to help uh, us see what he's trying to help the Jewish people see. That, that is, all of this is in accordance with the Old Testament. None of this should be new to you. But the emphasis in Paul's speech is not on his death, but on his resurrection. Because this is a, a good news story. And as, G, as Paul goes on to refer to Jesus like, uh, in sort of like King David, a man of, uh, after God's own heart, uh, but Jesus is not like David, not only because he didn't fail like David, but because Jesus didn't stay dead like David. That's the point that Paul is making uh, as he refers to how David has fallen asleep and yet Jesus has not. What's he mean by that? Well, everybody has died to this point. <laughs> Sorry to break the news to you there. Uh, David died and stayed dead. Uh, I will die and return to the dust. You will die and return to the dust. But then Paul goes on to say this in verse 34, as to his raising him from the dead, never to return to decay, he has spoken in this way, again, quoting from the Old Testament, I will give you the holy and sure promises of David, that's Isaiah 53, uh, 55, uh, therefore, he also says another passage, you will not let your holy one see decay, a quote from the Psalms. 
Now, as, as Paul keeps quoting from the Old Testament, he is making his case here that something radically new is happening and the whole Old Testament was pointing to it. That is Jesus, the ultimate King, the one promised and prophesied about, has come, He has died and now He has been raised from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus is the announcement that the good news of salvation is now open to all. It is the announcement that it is by grace. No more will the failures of God's people limit their blessings. For it is all done in Jesus. His faithfulness, His life, His death, His resurrection is the basis of the good news for all people. And here comes the punchline, verse 38. Therefore... Let it be known to you, brothers and sisters, that through this man, the Lord Jesus, forgiveness of sins is being proclaimed to you. Everyone who believes is justified through him, through Jesus, from everything that you could not be justified from through the law of Moses. What does it mean to be saved? to receive forgiveness of sins through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Paul uses the very Christian word justified, that, is, that means we are made right, we are made right with God, not by our obedience to the law, not by sacrifices demanded by the law to kind of band-aid over our sin, even though that's what God and His mercy had given to them, as a way of pointing towards an ultimate sacrifice, forgiveness of sins, being made right with God, is through receiving the sacrifice of Jesus, His death on your behalf. But He did not stay dead, did He? Jesus died for our sins and rose to new life. And it's interesting how Paul actually connects the forgiveness of sins to the resurrection of Jesus. The crucifixion alone is not enough for forgiveness. We talk about the crucifixion a lot because that's where Jesus died for our sins. But there are many sacrifices in the Old Testament that were for sins, but this sacrifice is entirely different because Paul says elsewhere, if He did not rise from the dead, your faith is useless and you're dead in your sins. By itself, the crucifixion only said to Israel that Jesus was just another sacrifice, not able to bring power to rise over and deliver us ultimately, just another band-aid. But in the resurrection, God rose Him in power to say to the world, I am pleased in my Son and His perfect sacrifice. There is power and life in the resurrection, now available to you and to you and to everyone who believes because the Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is now given to you. And then comes Paul's final punch. And he's quoting here from Habakkuk, a minor prophet towards the end of the Old Testament. The minor prophets were kind of like, you know, they were the guys in, you know, wearing sandwich boards walking down, you know, the main street of the city, uh, kind of repent calling people back, it was too late, everything was going so bad. This is what he quotes. He says this, So be aware that what is said in the prophets does not 
happen to you. Look, you scoffers, marvel and vanish away, because I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will never believe, even if someone were to explain it to you. Oh, the frustration of that. There is the Lord Jesus, the way of salvation to anyone who believes, and yet some people are just going to scoff and ignore and reject. And God knew that, but He considered His Son and us worth it, that Jesus was sent for us that we might be saved. Paul is saying, don't be like that, don't miss this. With eyes of faith will you see what the whole Old Testament has been pointing towards. Let us be filled with the same kind of burden. Will our community see with eyes of faith the Lord Jesus? Not just a person of history, not just as the most influential person of history, but as the Son of God who died and rose again for the forgiveness of sins. And after Paul gives that final punch in the speech... You know, outside the synagogue, people are urging him to say more. And Paul and Barnabas urge them to continue in the grace of God. Now, I find that a fascinating little comment. What, does he, what, what, what would you say to them if people are keen to know more about Jesus? He says, continue in the grace of God. Paul is emphasizing that, especially to those people who are used to working their way up to feeling like they've been made right with God to people living by the law, and for all people here who think that their kind of self-evaluation is governed by how hard you work, how much success you make, Jesus is unlike all of that. Paul says, continue in the grace of God, because all of this is a gift. Put everything you know about the world, everything you thought you knew about God to the side, and see with eyes of faith, faith this Jesus, this gift. And this is the second reason I want you to be confident in God's mission to the nations, because He rose from the dead, and your forgiveness is evidence of its power in you. Now, as we finish up, I want you to know that this gospel is a message of power for all people. Paul knew that, Barnabas knew that, But as good as things looked like they were going, the next week they returned to the synagogue and everything has shifted. In sort of both extremes. In fact, the power of the gospel had brought many to come here uh, from Paul and Barnabas. And also, as this crowd gathers, uh, verse 45, uh, there were those who were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what Paul was saying and insulting him. We ought to expect the same today. That is, where there is power in the gospel to save, there will also be those who reject the gospel and will persecute and will challenge us. It often seems where there is great growth for the gospel, there is also a spike in opposition. Uh, Last week, I read an article of a church in Missouri in the States. They had forged a relationship with a local and progressive documentary film festival called True False. It was an unusual relationship between a conservative, uh, you know, Bible-believing church and a progressive secular film festival. Uh, In fact, it was so unusual that the New York Times ran a story on it. 
And yet the church sought to build bridges to those who were not Christian. They were doing the same thing Paul was doing, starting with what was common and moving towards what is new, pointing to the Lord Jesus. And they, one, one church leader said this, the films featured were asking the right questions about the human condition and what was wrong with the world. I love that. A couple of years on from that, uh, with the relationship still strong, the church had a sermon on God creating humanity, male and female. One leader of the church said this, this sermon caused a major controversy in the Columbia community. As the crossing, name of the church, stood by their positions, uh, position, institutions in town came under pressure to drop partnerships with the church, the film festival decided to do so, cutting ties, an art gallery in town did likewise, a church that had worked hard never to offer gratuitous offence suddenly found itself a pariah in parts of the local community it had been trying to reach. The outrage was significant. You know, one day we have great connections with our community, the next they're totally turned against us. And after the festival ended, uh, they had a decision to make. This is what the same leader said, it wasn't easy but it was simple. Jesus told us what to do, love. So we took to the internet to thank the festival for our past partnership I and others wrote a long social media post sincerely expressing why we love the festival and encouraging fellow church members to continue attending in future. <laughs> in a private conversation with one of the festival leaders, he said to me, it was a masterclass on grace. I wanted to take credit, he said, but I couldn't. I replied that we're merely students of the master. Brothers and sisters, our confidence in this mission that we are now part of. Our confidence in being made right with God through the forgiveness of sins is all grounded in the grace of God. As the whole world shifts from one side to the other like shifting sands, let us stand on the bedrock of faith in Jesus because Jesus has lived for us, He has died for us and He has risen again. And Paul finishes as he reflects on these things and says this, quoting from uh, Isaiah 49, uh, I have made you a light for the Gentiles to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Paul stands on this, sure that God is using him to bring the gospel to the nations. And even as the crowd is divided before him, even as they are run out of town, do you see how it finishes? Paul and Barnabas shook the dust off their feet against them, went to Iconium and the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. That's what calm confidence looks like. When it's all going sideways, you still trust in the Lord Jesus, you are still filled with joy and the power of peace and, and the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, let us take up the holy discontent of living in a world that has rejected Jesus and will reject us at times and yet we long to see them saved. And as we step into the breach there, as we take up the strain, let us rejoice, not in our labours, but in the work of God. Just a couple of weeks ago, a lady from our 1045 congregation, uh, who's come from another faith background, another culture, uh, declared her faith in Jesus for the first time. Let us expect to see the fruit of God's work among us as we commit to seeing the gospel go to all nations. 
God has been working throughout time to save you and He's calling you to join His plans to see a whole world come to know Jesus. Let me pray. Father, what a joy it is to be reminded that we are saved not by our own merits, but through the blood of Jesus and through the power of His resurrection. Give us this calm confidence that Paul had. So fill us with Your Spirit that we might have joy and peace in all circumstances, knowing that You are at work in us according to Your eternal purposes. So use us, Father, that we would see many in this place, in this community, in this part of the city, come to know Jesus, burden us with that. But even with that burden, may we move forward in faith and peace and joy for the glory of the Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.